Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell on this Friday. Colby, how we uh, how we feeling? The weather's getting chilly. Winter is seemingly here. Uh, we got a big ball game in Stillwater, but how you feeling on this Friday? Uh, I'm feeling better than I was earlier in the week. Yeah, earlier in the week we were a little down, but you know, time heals all wounds. So. Um, I don't know that I would say optimistic for tomorrow, but excited for tomorrow to see what this team looks like after uh, the worst back-to-back weeks we can probably remember in a long time. Sounds like you're in a better headspace than me because I'm neither optimistic nor excited. I'm I'm full of dread. I'm dreading Saturday. I think it's going to be depressing. But I, I'm not optimistic, but I am excited because one way or another, I think we're going to learn something about this team tomorrow. And that, again, we don't know if Spencer's going to play, but... I mean, they need to show something tomorrow. They they just need to show some life, some heart, a pulse, just something. So I'm I'm excited to see uh, if cowboy culture shines through because I I do think one way or another we will learn some things about this program tomorrow at home uh, against what should be inferior talent on the other side. I'm uh, yeah, not not optimistic, but definitely excited. Yeah, I I can I can get on board with that. I'm I'm warming up, but. Uh... Let's hear from Christy versus Spirit before we get into that. And also the basketball season is upon us as well, which is also not very optimistic. But uh, log on to Christy's University Spirit. Uh, they're, they're a proud partner of the Pistols Firing Podcast. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. You can log on to ChrisUniversitySpirit.com and get all your cowboy shopping needs. Holiday season rapidly approaching. Thanksgiving's just a, a short, you know, what, two weeks away? Less than two weeks away. And then we got Christmas and the holiday season. So be sure to do your holiday shopping at Chris's University spirit uh i mentioned winter is rapidly approaching if not here already colby which means basketball season is here and boy um mike boynton just cannot seem to get things headed in the right direction other than that one year supernova that was Cade cunningham they lose at home to southern illinois and yet another collapse colby that's been a trend under mike boynton they had a 13 point lead in the second half Yet again, find a way to lose. They shot like 50% from the free throw line. Just all the things you have to do poorly to lose that big of a lead late. They did. And uh, just it seems like uh, Groundhog Day, Colby, with the Oshi basketball program. They've been stuck in in the, in the mud for a very, very, very long time. And uh, this season's off to a rough start. Yeah, stuck in the mud is a good way to put it. It feels like the tires are spinning on Oklahoma State basketball. The optimism that surrounded the program, uh, the year of Cade, a lot of that has waned. I think some of that had to do with the anger toward the NCAA. It's just, here's kind of where I'm at with Mike Boynton. We, for years, have said, and I know it, it just, it feels like it's drug on forever, but for years we've said, all right, he didn't get a fair shake for the NCAA. Let's get let him get through all the sanctions and then see what it looks like coming out of the other side. It, it's it tests your patience, though, Carson, whenever you lose games in the non-con to Southern Illinois. And Southern Illinois, not a bad basketball team, potential tournament team, bunch of seniors. Um, but, again, it's a late collapse. You don't have guys making plays at the end. The give-me-the-ball-and-get-out-of-the-way leader, uh, still searching for that guy since Cade left. I mean, Cade was Mr. Do-Everything the last five minutes of the game. Give him the ball, get out of the way, you're going to win. That that guy has not emerged, um, and you need that guy down the stretch. So I uh, I, I feel like I'm in an, at an in-between place with Mike Boynton right now. I think he understands Oklahoma State very well. I think he gets the culture very well, uh, and I think he is a good fit for that culture. But the winning has not matched what I believe uh, to be a, a a good fit for the job. And Coach Boynton, he resonates well with players. He, he's still recruiting well, but then you still keep losing – these games constantly. So I, I don't want to, it's November 11th. So on 11, 11, we've got what four more months of college basketball, three, three and a half more months of college basketball. I don't want to totally lose my mind on November 11th, but I do think some things need to be better this season. And there needs to be some sign of the program moving forward. Um, I, I still, 
I want to believe in Coach Boynton because so much of what he's done and said has been positive. The results on the court have to match up at some point, though. So continue to recruit well, continue to say and do all the right things. Uh, but you got to start winning some basketball games, especially against the teams you should beat. The NCAA stuff is tough. Uh, he came into the Big 12 Conference when it's arguably as strong as it has been as a basketball conference in a long, long time, top to bottom. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that it's just easy for him to go out there and go 11-7 and seven in conference every year uh, and get to the tournament as a, as a four seed. But those years have to be sprinkled in a little bit more often than just the one year with Cade. So uh, I'm kind of in an in-between place with OSU basketball right now. It just feels like we're waiting for it to go one way or the other. I think you said that well. Like that's kind of where I'm at. Like we all we all love Mike. He, he's he's great. I mean, no one that meets him walks away saying anything other than I love that guy and he can be my coach as long as he wants. But at a certain point, you have to start winning basketball games. And he's had one season with an above 500 record in in conference play, and that was with Cade Cunningham. And there are certainly caveats. Uh, the season was canceled due to COVID nineteen and nineteen and twenty. Uh, the 1920 season, and they were tied for seventh, you know, hovering around five, getting closer to 500. They were playing well at that time. Who knows what happens that year? Obviously, they're ruled ineligible from postseason play last year, but it's just he has a 43% winning percentage in Big 12 play. And Colby, you weren't doing this podcast with me when when Travis Ford was the coach. I would be a tremendous hypocrite if if you go back and listen to some of those episodes, I knew very, very early on that Travis Ford could not coach. And he and he struggled in the in-game coaching. Like Lon Kruger just coached circles around the guy. It was it was borderline embarrassing at times. And he and I got off to a really strange start from the get-go. Um, it's a long story. I may tell it on the pod at some point. I think I may already have. I can't remember, but he, he was just kind of a kind of an ill fit from the get-go and I think he really tried he really tried and he did everything in his power to fit in at Oklahoma State and I think he realized that he ruffled some feathers when he got there and ultimately he just didn't win enough and he he became very well liked around Stillwater but he knew it the administration knew it the contract was also a burden on him in in this in the administration but they realized that it just wasn't working and I'm kind of trending toward that direction with my point and I and look he came on this very podcast and won me and Kyle over. But I would be a tremendous hypocrite to be as critical as I was of Travis Ford and his in-game coaching and not do the same with Mike Boynton because this is not a, a one- or two-year trend with his teams. Colby, I've lost count of how many late leads they've given up, how many late-game execution errors there have been to lose games that are there for the taking. And that's kind of where I'm at, Colby. It's this is more than just a, a few game trend. This has kind of been the the hallmark of his tenure to this point. No, you're right. And it's it's interesting because now you mentioned Travis Ford. So I, I don't think that we can have the Mike Boynton conversation without having the conversation of how much time does just being loved by everyone buy you? My Travis Ford story is I was a, a sophomore maybe in in college whenever Travis Ford was there and he was coming around the student union trying to give out tickets to people and I needed to get him for a story that I was doing and I went up and he was like on his way out the door and I like, tapped him on the shoulder like hey coach Ford is there any chance I can get you for a few minutes he stopped in the student union he talked to me on my little recorder for my student project for 15 minutes about student attendance uh, about everything happening with the program and I walked away from that as a 19 20 year old thinking wow what a nice guy that I mean he, he should resonate with people and now you got Mike Boynton in town. And Mike Boynton, he's a nice guy. He resonates with people. And it's you can't have the conversation around OSU basketball and how long does the Boynton tenure last without talking about that because, Carson, it does buy you some good grace. And it, it puts the administration in the position of, okay, everyone loves this guy. It is harder to pull the trigger on letting go of a guy who's just very well liked by everyone in the building, in every athletic department you know he's at the softball games he's at the golf tournaments I, I just you take that and you put it against what has been on the court an underwhelming tenure at Oklahoma State the Cade year was incredibly exciting it's the most fun I've had watching Oklahoma State basketball since 
probably the the Byron Eton years. I don't know. Smart Markel Brown and, and LeBron Nash had some good years, but that Cade year was a ton of fun. But Carson, I, I don't envy the administration here because once again, they find themselves with a basketball cro- coach who I believe is a genuinely good person who's very well liked by everyone inside the building and who is right now not winning basketball games. And that is a very difficult position for the administration to be in because I mean, I, I know that looking at it from a cynical sports pe- fan perspective and saying if you don't win, you're gone is easy to do, but there's more there's more to it than that when human beings are involved, and I just I don't know how long the leash is here for a guy who is loved as opposed to a guy who comes in and everybody's just kind of so-so about. Yeah, and we're we're certainly, you're, you mentioned it, it's November 11th. Like, let's, let's see how the season plays out. He is recruiting well. He got the kid from Dell City, Garrison, who's a – you know, legit four or five star kid, depending on where you look. He's recruiting well. He's well liked, but again, you, you got to start winning some basketball games. And uh, I think this was a big setback early in the season, too. Big setback, too, Colby, because, you know, the football season's not going well. We all know that. And I think people oftentimes, when that's occurring, look to basketball for, you know, some excitement, some optimism. You know, some of those games in Gallagher Iowa can be fun during this time of year. And it's just, just when, and I, I've said this for years on this podcast, just when you think the momentum's going the right way, the rug always seemingly gets pulled out from under OSU basketball. And it feels like it happened early this year. <laughs> and, I, and again, I don't want to dwell on one loss in a long season too much. And Colby, and they could they could light it up in Big 12 play for all we know. And and, and college basketball's changed so much, Colby, from when, even when Travis Ford was a coach, let alone Eddie Sutton. Mike's had a new roster virtually every year. And I think that's just part of where that sport has gone much like football, but even to a much greater extent in basketball. So there are caveats, there are reasons, but at a certain point, Colby, you run out of those and you just got to start winning basketball games. And and that's certainly where we're at with with, uh, Mike Boynton and company. Yeah, and I think part of this too is you lose to a Southern Illinois and it kind of gets everybody's attention, right? I, I don't know what Southern Illinois is going to turn into. What what if they turn into a 12 seed and they beat a five in the NCAA tournament? Do we look back at this differently? It's it's hard to evaluate college basketball in November, but it is easy to just look up and say, wow, you you just you lost a game to Southern Illinois. It's not good. Doesn't get your fan base riled up in November because that's the thing for me, Carson. I really struggle to turn my brain from football to basketball uh, in November and in December even because the NFL is still going and, and bowl season and, and big – 12 championship and college football playoff and everything's going on. I really struggle to turn my brain to basketball until conference play. Well, at that point, I need a reason to be excited to think, okay, this team has some momentum. I need to get to Gallagher Iba to see them play. And I think a lot of the fan base is like that right now. And college basketball is different than college football. College football, you've got to show up six times. It's always on a Saturday, so you're not working. Maybe Thursday night to open the season, but whatever. It's usually on a Saturday. You're not working. College basketball, there's a lot of times where you're being asked to drive from either Tulsa or Oklahoma City to Stillwater for an 8 o'clock tip on a Monday or Tuesday. You're getting home at 1130 and you have to work the next day. That's a big ask if there's not a reason for me to get to Gallagher Iba. A couple of years ago, I was driving up there to watch Cade play and I was getting home at 1130. You want to know why? That was appointment viewing. That was entertaining. You know, that that team wasn't going to win a national championship, but they could play and it was seriously entertaining. You don't have to have the number one overall pick in the draft, but you've got to give fans a reason to make that trip on a Monday or Tuesday uh, and, and return Gallagher, but maybe not to its former glory because in with the thunder in town and just the way things are now, uh, you probably never return to what it was in like 2004, but you've got to give fans a reason to get in the seats. And right now that enthusiasm just is not there with the program. Yep. Totally agree. And uh, again, it's early. We'll see how the season plays out, but a big setback for the basketball program. Uh, let's turn our attention to, to football, Colby. Uh, Spencer Sanders been in the news. We're all wondering if he's going to play on Saturday, but he did sign an NIL deal with Eskimo Joe's. He's going to be signing autographs there. He's got the, the Eskimo Joe's T-shirt treatment. Uh, when is he signing autographs? He'll be there. Oh, he was there this Wednesday, this past Wednesday. He was there signing autographs for fans, and I'm sure, Colby, he got a lot of questions about his health, his shoulder, his ankle. I'm sure they were judging his every movement, but um, – I don't know. I find this interesting, Colby, because it is kind of late in the season. And for a guy that I I expect to to leave Stillwater to sign an ideal NIL deal with Eskimo Joe's, I'm sure they asked him how long he'd be in town for. Um, I don't know. I find it interesting. And it's pretty cool for him nonetheless. 
I find it really interesting. And I, you know, sometimes we have to try to connect dots uh, whenever there are just a few there. And I don't know. Feels odd, right? Feels odd to have him take the NIL deal if he was done at Oklahoma State. Um, I mean, obviously, he's had a lot of success at Oklahoma State. His name carries some weight in Stillwater. I don't know. It's uh, also want to, to send our best to him. He tweeted out on November 8th, which would have been Tuesday, I believe. Uh, he tweeted, rest in peace, Grandpa. You're in a better place. So I want to send our best to Spencer Sanders and his family as it appears uh, that he's dealing with the loss of his grandfather. Um, so, yeah, just, just wishing he and his family all the best. But, um, yeah, the, the NIL deal is interesting. Had I been there at Eskimo Joe's, I absolutely would have been watching uh, every stroke of that pen to see how he was signing the autographs. Is there any wince whatsoever? Uh, did he stand up? Did he walk around at all? How's he looking? Is there a limp? All that good stuff uh we're all on the edge of our seat to see what spencer sanders looks like physically and whether he takes the field tomorrow um yeah and, and even more so i think whether he takes the field next saturday in norman because let's be honest if osu fans um had to pick between these last three games do, do you want spencer to try to tough it out against iowa state if he's 70 percent, or do you want to throw rangel out there and get spencer to 90 or 100 for bedlam i think most people would say you know Let's maybe get him to 90 or 100 for Bedlam because you're not winning the Big 12 anyway. Try to win that game down in Norman. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's it's very interesting that he took the NIL deal with Eskimo Joes in November with rumors swirling about um, how much longer he'll be a part of the Oklahoma State football program. Uh, it's very interesting, Carson. Let's try not, try not to connect too many dots, but there are some there if you feel like connecting them. Yeah. Um, have you heard anything on him? I mean, it, to me, the, no. the overwhelming opinion seems to be he's probably not going to play this week. Maybe he'd come back from Bedlam, but uh, you were way you were way more pessimistic about him playing last week, and rightfully so. He did not, and I was a little more optimistic than you. But what are you? What's your vibe this week going into Saturday? My vibe is that we don't see him tomorrow. Uh, I'm still looking at this line. I, I think that the line at the beginning of the week was probably based on him not playing. I had an Iowa State minus one earlier this week. I've currently got an Iowa State minus one and a half, and the Iowa State side is juiced if you want to bet them on the minus one and a half, uh, minus 115 to minus 105 for OSU if you're taking the points. So, you know, Vegas likes Iowa State to win the game. I don't think that's the case if Spencer Sanders is playing. I don't know what they know. I don't know how they get their information because, um, you know, can't get anything out of Stillwater about his health or potential availability. So I don't think he plays tomorrow, uh, but I, I still think he plays in Norman. I, I think it means too much to him. Yeah, I – the way I – I've totally flipped. I, I think he's probably done for the year. Again, I just – I keep going back to the Rangel thing. I just – I don't see the the, the – logic or reasoning let alone it being his son to to not play the backup quarterback who won the job who's been the backup the week before <laughs> i just i find that really weird and I, I think there's more to it than that so i'm just going on inference and hunch and uh that that does not give me much optimism for the game on saturday obviously even though rangel i thought as we talked about on the last show really really showed well in, in some instances and showed his skills uh, before we get to the game and Rangel and and what how you think it'll play out and everything, I do have a a very 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 interesting statistic for you, Colby, regarding the Oklahoma State running game. You and I have been hammering the offensive line for good reason, and we all know the issues they've had running the football. Would you like to know, Colby, how poor the OSU running game has been in terms of handing the football to a running back this year? Uh, I actually don't think I want to know because I, I think it might ruin my Friday, but uh, probably something we should talk about. So go ahead and fire away. Well, they've played nine games. How many carries do you think from a running back have gone at least 20 yards this year? Carries to a running back. Uh, Nixon had the 53 yarder or whatever it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, had to have been a couple more early in the season. You said 20 yards? At least 20 yards. To running backs, a hand, I'll say six. Two. Oh, so there's only one more besides the Nixon run in nine games. That is brutal. And it shouldn't count because they played against Arkansas Pine Bluff. It was Ollie Gordon, 53 yards, that touchdown run he had against Arkansas. Pine it doesn't Bluff. count. That was a scrimmage. We don't count that as a game. So they have one. They have one. And Sanders has several that are like 23 in that range, 23 yards. But past Sanders, 
they've had two carries go for at least 20 yards. And here, I'll, I'll just read them to you. I, I did some research here. Uh, Central Michigan, their longest carry, 18 yards from Dom Richardson. Arizona State, 19 yards, Dom Richardson. Uh, you, you, I read Arkansas Pine Bluff, Baylor, 11 yards, Ollie Gordon. Texas Tech, 9 yards, Dom Richardson. TCU, 17 yards, Dom Richardson. Texas, 51 yards, Jaden Nixon. You nailed that one. Kansas State, 7 yards, Jaden Nixon. Kansas, 14 yards, DeAndre Jackson. That is, Colby, as bad as you can possibly be at running the football. I would I would challenge any other team in the country to have that that le- a less explosive running game than that. The only way they have any of explosion this year on offense running the football has been with Spencer Sanders scrambling. And then one basically one carry from Jaden Nixon, because we're not counting the Ollie Gordon run. That's running against Savannah State. Uh, that that Colby should send alarm bells off for Mike Gundy, his offensive line coach, and the fact that they're not good enough up front. And maybe they're not good enough at tailback. I, I was really high on Ollie Gordon. He can't get on the field. Jaden Nixon we like. Uh, Dom Richardson's been serviceable. But that that that's the root of all of their issues, Colby, is is the lack of the running game. That That's all the issues they have on offense right then and there. Carson, I don't know how to put it other than that is a scathing indictment of the offense as a whole at every level, right? I mean, that's a scathing indictment uh, of the the offensive coaching staff, the offensive line, uh, the play calling, the blocking. I mean, the, the players executing, the running backs hitting the right hole, baking guys miss in the open field, getting to the edge uh, and getting upfield. It's it's a serious indictment of the entire offense. And it, it doesn't totally surprise me to hear those stats because it's it's actually putting numbers to what we're seeing with our eyes, right? I mean, we're not, we're not blind and we've watched football before. We know what we're seeing on Saturdays. We're seeing a team that can't get any push up front and can't make anything happen in the run game. I mean, you're playing against Texas and Bijan Robinson. I still think it's a miracle. Oklahoma state won that game at first half. I mean, it's like the red sea is parting. He's going 20 yards before he's touched because the safety's getting him on the back end. Oklahoma state's got one of them in nine games, uh, eight games. We don't count the scrimmage. Um, yeah, I mean, that's an indictment for the entire offense. And Carson, that to me is more concerning than young guys on defense uh, not being able to communicate on the back end and stuff because hopefully a, a bunch of those guys stick around, they learn to communicate better, and then in two or three years, uh, hopefully not in two or three years, hopefully next year after an offseason and a year of playing together, uh, they're much more organized on the back end and the defense steps back up a little bit, even if it doesn't get to the level it was at with Rodriguez and Harper and all those secondary guys. But the running game, Carson, this is uh, pretty much recurring where if you don't have a surefire NFL back on the roster, Chuba Hubbard, Jalen Warren, if you don't have that guy on the roster, Justice Hill, Chris Carson, then uh, this running game goes in the in the tank, in the toilet. And that's where it's at right now. So uh, one of those backs needs to step up and be that guy. The offensive line needs to be better. The play calling needs to be better to confuse the defense, uh, to maybe t- to get something on the edge. I, I don't know what exactly the solution is uh and i'm not paid seven figures to figure it out so um the the folks who are need to because it can't it's not sustainable to play offense this way with no run game uh it's going to get you beat and it's really going to get you beat if you don't have a quarterback who's mobile uh and can do a lot of things to hide those deficiencies in your offense so uh i i think that of all the the troubles that we've seen recently with oklahoma state football as far as the on-field product goes this one, to me, fixing the run game is priority number one. Yeah, and you mentioned like they've had a ton of NFL running backs, and, and I'm with you. I think that has masked the deficiencies on the offensive line, at least in the last several years with the guys you, you mentioned. And to illustrate how good they've been over the years, Barry Trammell had a great article just on the lack of running games, both at Iowa State and Oklahoma State, two schools that traditionally have an elite running back, just going back to last year with Brees Hall and uh, Jalen Warren. Uh, An OSU tailback has reached 1,000 yards rushing in 24 of the past 47 seasons. To put that in perspective, Colby, OU's only had 23. So OSU's had more 1,000-yard rushers over the last 47 years, which is really remarkable and and an amazing statistic for Oklahoma State to to be on that level. And it's we've reached a real tipping point, Colby, because they have been able to get around it with elite level quarterback play with Spencer at times, Mason Rudolph on down the list. But they've had four line coaches in the last 
handful of years and it's been a revolving door and it hasn't gotten fixed. In fact, it just, it's seemingly getting worse by the years. We thought Dickey was improving things last year. How much of that was just the transfer portal with Godlevsky and, and Jalen Warren? I think it was most of it. And so that that's that's huge questions moving forward for, for Oklahoma State football is will they hit the transfer portal for offensive linemen and will they make a change there? And I just I don't see it getting any any better this week, Colby, because Iowa State has the best defense in the Big 12. Oklahoma State was shut out against Kansas State with their starting quarterback, Spencer Sanders, who you and I believe will not play on Saturday. Uh, this this spells disaster. Like you and I watched the Kansas game together, Colby. It 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 might get worse than that, at least offensively. I don't know about defensively because Iowa State has probably the worst offense. So it's to uh, a big dichotomy there on, on on their program, but this this is not setting up well for the OSU offense, at least. No, it's not, and I don't know what it looks like in the future, but uh, like you said, the portal, I know Gundy said the, on Monday, you know, not big portal guys, we understand why it exists, think it, maybe it slows down, and maybe it does because, you know, whenever it was new, it just every kid who even had a bad day just jumped in the portal immediately. And a bunch of them ended up without homes to play football because there were more kids in the portal than there were spots available around the country. Um, that being said, I, I don't know that you can address this problem quickly. I'm talking about going into next season, 2023 season without hitting the portal um, on the offensive line. You've got to bring guys in. You need a Josh Sills to come in in the portal. That was an impact guy who you brought in in the portal who helped up front. Um, the portal giveth, the portal taketh away. You know, you, you lose Jarrett Bernard Converse and Tanner McAllister to the portal. Here's the thing. Other coaches believe in the portal, and they're they're willing to come take Tanner McAllister and Jarrett Bernard Converse, and that's fine. Those, those kids, look, they had opportunities to go be great elsewhere, and they are capitalizing, and, and their draft stock has improved, all that good stuff. Not blaming the kids for doing what's best for them. I'm saying Oklahoma State needs to get in that portal and figure out this run game, figure out this offensive line uh, sooner rather than later because I don't know that this fan base right now has the patience for a three- or four-year, let's try to recruit some two- and three-stars and, and build them in to those guys up front. Um, the lack of an offensive line just killing any bit of offensive um, just momentum you've been able to build over the last decade plus at Oklahoma State, that's just that's not going to work. So I really hope that they get in the portal and bring in a Josh Sills type, uh, a couple of those guys, and and just I know that those guys don't grow on trees, but Oklahoma State has to fix it, and it has to be number one priority again, Carson. You, just, you can't allow this to continue to fester because uh, if you do, it's going to get worse before it gets better. We didn't talk about Mike's comments on the last podcast about the transfer portal and how he said, you know, things were going to slow down. It's not going to be as crazy. I'm not a big portal guy. When when really the truth of it, Colby, is OSU's been innovators. They've been ahead of the curve in, in transfer portal. Going back to, you know, Tay Martin, uh, Godlevsky, who I mentioned, J1 Warren, that, those are three of their best players they've had in the last three years. And... There, there's guys I'm forgetting that were even before then. They, they've they've taken transfers for a long time. And so while I do think Mike's correct in that the portal's going to slow down because, let's face it, it's been completely out of control, and they've they've put in some, some more strict stipulations as to when you can enter it and things of that nature, and I don't think he's wrong there. I think he's fibbing on him not being a big portal guy. I think he will take guys that he thinks can help his team, and he's proven that he will, and they have. And uh, I, I think it's a little more widespread now based on the way things have gone defensively. The guys you mentioned who are having success elsewhere. And then I, I think we've reached, again, I, I think we've reached a tipping point with the offensive line. I, I don't know if there's guys on the roster that can really turn things around next year. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. Who knows? But that clearly is, is, a, is a big issue moving forward. And um, let's just get into the game, Colby. Uh, I guess one quick note. Uh, Tanner Brown listed as semifinalist for the Grozo Award. Uh, that's that's very well, uh, very well deserved. He he liked one of my tweets this week, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So a big fan of Tanner Brown. I uh, didn't want to mention him by name for the you know the the no hitter situation he was he was kicking at, but uh, he's been a a real bright spot for the team this year, Colby. He's been sensational. 
He has been. He's been great. He uh, he got my bullet one week. What we TCU? He got my bullet for making the fifty-two yarder uh, in overtime, making it look easy. He has been great. Uh, I've I've been saying it every week. NFL kicker, NFL kicker. It's such a luxury to have an NFL kicker, uh, and you forget about it until that guy's gone, and then all of a sudden you you've got a seventy-two percent kicker out there costing you games. So, uh, huge Tanner Brown fans here on the Pistols Firing Pod. Absolutely. He's he's been awesome. Uh there was one more thing I wanted to get into before we pick the game. Matt Campbell had three things to say about Oklahoma State. Uh they're apparently doing okay injury wise. Uh unlike Oklahoma State has just been been yeah. ravaged. I did think this was interesting, Colby. You know, you you sent out a tweet this week uh with a play of Notre Dame's, which was very innovative, had a ton of pre snap motion, which I've just been hammering all year. Oh, she makes themselves so predictable and so easy to read and diagnose without any pre-stamp movement. And uh, Matt Campbell was quoted as saying, when you talk about a Mike Gundy coached offense, it's not changing a whole lot. They've got great playmakers on the outside. They're really well coached on the offensive line. I don't know about that. They've always got a consistent, really great running game. Well, I don't know about that either. Coach me, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, other than that, he was basically saying, you know, the Oklahoma State's going to do what they've always done on offense. And that... And that's kind of, Colby, I think, where you and I have been critical. They haven't changed or evolved a whole lot in years. (laughs) It kind of looks the same. And uh, we had several people tweeting at us about it. And I kind of reiterated my point that, and it also seems, too, when things start going poorly, it gets even more and more and more conservative, more and more and more predictable. And I think that's kind of where we are now as we enter the Iowa State game. Yeah, it's odd. It's like, uh, okay, we're more overmatched, so we're going to be more vanilla and more predictable, which seems contrary. This quote to end here from Campbell, I think, was really telling. He says, you can go through the last 20 years. What they're doing on the offensive side of the football really hasn't varied no matter who's been at quarterback. I think we at least have a global understanding of what we're preparing for. Carson, doesn't that go back to what you and I have been talking about for a few weeks now, which is Oklahoma State does not make life hard for defenses because it's just the same every single week, every single year. And in conference play, when the same coaches are preparing for the same offense year after year with almost no new wrinkles, Carson, I I mean, it's like Matt Campbell said right there. I think we at least have a global understanding of what we're preparing for. Yes, you're preparing for the generic cookie-cutter Oklahoma State offense that you see year in and year out, and year in and year out as coaches stick around at programs longer in the Big 12, it just gets a little bit easier to defend as you know a little bit more about what Oklahoma State's doing, and you figure out that one tiny wrinkle that they're throwing in every year, and once you've adjusted to that, uh, you know, you're you're asking Spencer Sanders to be a hero, and you're asking guys to win one-on-one on go routes, um, it's, uh, I'm as down as I've been about Oklahoma state's offense in a long time. Uh, I, I know that injuries have played a role, but Carson, I'm just, I'm really in a, a negative place right now with the way Oklahoma state's offense is operating because I just feel like there's a lot of meat that they're leaving on that bone. I do too. And that's before we get to, you know, the defense, uh, I guess Matt Campbell had a few more other, one more other thing he said. At his uh, press conference, uh, yeah, nothing that interesting actually. He he didn't have a whole lot to say. That was that great. Actually, <laughs> I can't believe I put that on the rundown. Uh, let's just get into it, Colby. I mean, we know the struggles the defense has had. I do think this is a a get right spot, considering Iowa State probably has the worst offense in the league by by a long ways. But I, I saw the graphic. Their OSU is bottom five in the country at giving up big explosive plays. I mentioned how they don't produce any on the ground on offense. They're just they're really susceptible to the big play. And Iowa State did play well enough in Austin to win uh, if their if the receiver can catch a wide open uh, touchdown pass. So, what do you think about the matchup against Iowa State's offense? Uh, I think for where Oklahoma State is right now. You couldn't really ask for a better matchup than than Iowa State because right now you need a team who can't run away from you. Oklahoma State just needs a get-right game. They just need to win, whether it's by a point uh, in the teens or or by 20 in the 40s. Oklahoma State just needs to get a win. And there are a bunch of teams in this conference that if you don't play well in the first half, they'll run away from you. I mean, Kansas last week was 24-7 at halftime after the fumble snap, uh, you know, 
took you from being within a, a score at halftime to down 24-7. Plays like that that Oklahoma State uh, has failed at the past two weeks, I, I just think that some of that stuff has to come back around. Rangel showed us some things yesterday. Um, Iowa State shouldn't be able to go out and just run up and down the field on this defense. I think this is a very close game, Carson. I, I think it's a lower scoring game because uh, I don't think either offense is really clicking right now. But I, I think that this is a game decided in the 20s. And Carson, I, I really don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going 27-24 Oklahoma State. I think it's a low-scoring, uh, kind of ugly football game as everybody sits out in the cold tomorrow. And I'm just – I'm relying on Oklahoma State just being a better football team at its core than Iowa State is this year. Um, being back at home – I don't know, Carson. I just it, – it's one of those feelings. I think it's a get-right week for Oklahoma State. 27-24. Uh, you can call it blind faith if you want to. You can call it homerism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think that I think that it looks unimpressive, but I think they get the win tomorrow. That's actually a lot of points, I think, for these two teams. I think that's Whoa. actually a high-scoring affair. <laughs> 27-24? I hope not. I hope that's not a high-scoring affair. That I, I do think it could be pretty ugly. Well, I, you and I have completely flipped from last week. Last week, I was the the optimist, just blind faith. I think Sanders might play. I just I can't pick Oklahoma State to lose to Kansas. I just, you know, I was that was my last ditch attempt. That was my last stand. That was the the gif of Jon Snow pulling the sword against the charging horses for me. And I've since been trampled by the the herd, uh, Game of Thrones style. I'm no longer wielding that sword. I am I am stuck in the mud, much like Oklahoma State basketball. And this this is a terrible matchup for Oklahoma State's offense, which has struggled mightily, but played better than their defense last week. And I just, I don't see their defense being able to stop anybody, even Iowa State. And I I think they will get some stops, but I just, there's no way if Spencer Sanders doesn't play that they're able to move the ball and sustain success on offense. There's just no way. They, They already can't run the ball. Now they're facing the best rushing defense in the league. And... I just I don't trust Rangel to not make mistakes being a true freshman like he did last week. He made four of them. Look, we all we all liked what we saw. We saw the talent. We saw why he was a three or four star, depending on where you looked. But he's still a true freshman, and to ask him to go and win it in a tight, tight Big Twelve bat, uh, football game is just it's hard to do. And I'm I'm picking a old school. Big Ten Iowa type football game. It that's the that's the most daunting part about Saturday, Colby. We are about to be transported to Big Ten country. We're gonna be in we're gonna be in uh, Iowa City South, Stillwater, and we're wearing all black Iowa colors in Oklahoma State. And I think that's what we're gonna see. I think we're gonna see an inept offensive performance from Oklahoma State. I'm picking Iowa State seventeen, Oklahoma State fourteen. I think it is a gross, terrible depressing game and a loss and we look ahead to bedlam like we used to back in the early 2000s or you know before bob stoops came to town or even actually when bob stoops came to town even though we're not playing a legitimate oklahoma team it's just it's a sad sad way to end the season colby but i think it continues yeah i uh I can't argue with anything that you're saying there. I, I can't. I, I don't know. Maybe it is just blind faith that I think Oklahoma State uh, wins this game tomorrow. I, I I don't think either one of these teams really stands above the other one. You're coming back home. I, I like the idea of getting home and getting a little bit comfortable. Uh, and, and Rangel showed me some things last week. You, you do make a good point. Iowa State has a good run defense. I worry that they can just stop the run with four, and then they can put seven on the back end, and that makes life miserable for Rangel. Um, I don't know. I, Iowa State is is beatable, and if Oklahoma State's going to get back on track, I think they have to do it tomorrow. I think you'd, have, you'd be hard-pressed to come in on a three-game losing streak uh, and still have your team fired up at the level OU is going to be for Bedlam. It's, it's weird, Carson. Bedlam this year is – it's like both teams are the spoiler – you're, you're playing for nothing other than in-state bragging rights and pride. It's That game has had so much on the line now for so many years in a row. I mean, it's going to be odd watching a Bedlam game next Saturday that for all intents and purposes, the, the only stakes on it are the in-state 
trash talk, which matters. I mean, we're, we're all going to do that, and that matters, and uh, there's still going to be a lot on the line for that game, the in-state rivalry and all that. But, I mean, there have been serious Big 12 and college football playoff implications on that game for what feels like a decade, and they're they're just not there this year. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be weird. Obviously, we'll get into that more next week, but uh, that's going to be weird. I I hope I'm right about Oklahoma State making one extra play tomorrow because, man, I, I don't know. Coming in Sunday to do a third uh, loss in a row pod as this season starts to come undone would be really disheartening. It's the first time since 2009, Bedlam, that there's no stakes for either team. At least one of the teams, and usually both, have been vying for a Big 12 championship. So you're right. It's going to be totally weird having a really, other than bragging rights that you mentioned, a meaningless Bedlam game. It's just we're not used to it on either side of Bedlam, and uh, we're both going to be kind of tucking our tail going into that game. And uh, we'll see how they do at at West Virginia. I don't think that's – there's no easy wins for either team in state. And so that's why Bedlam will be so fascinating. Who can can mess that game up uh, the most? But um, I don't know. I – Look, I, I certainly, in the back of my mind, as you were talking, can picture Rangel making some plays offensively down the field to a Bryson Green. They had some success. Uh, we'll, I will have to see how healthy they're able to get at the receiver position. That's really been hurting the offense as well. I can certainly see the avenue and the path. I just think the lack of the running game makes them far more predictable to get to that path, and that's that's why I'm concerned. But uh, that's my thoughts on it. Anything national strike out to you? Uh, yes, Carson. Tonight. USC, Colorado. I said this before we came on. I told you specifically not to look at the line because I want you to guess what the gap is, uh, according to Vegas, between USC and Colorado. Oh, since you're bringing it up, I'm going to guess it's really big or like entirely too close to show how overrated USC is. I'll go with really big. How about USC minus 31? You were close. You were within a field goal. I'm impressed. USC minus 34. 34. Carson. For a November conference game, I I just – a Friday night Pac-12 game with a 34-point spread. It is incredible the depths to which Colorado has fallen. Well, and that's like not that far off where what Oklahoma State was favored against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Like – you're getting up there like in Alabama territory when you're favored close to 40, no matter who you're playing. That's that's embarrassing. And and look, Colorado is a relic program. I've said that. Uh, they, them leaving it for the Pac-12 was was great for the Big 12 because they got a tiny fan base, small stadium. The, college football has passed them by. Uh, they were great back in the day in the 80s, recruiting California really well. That's just not a program that has the infrastructure to be successful in 2022. And so while it is sad to see how far they've fallen, there, there's reasons for that. It's it's kind of amazing they were as good as they were back in the day, considering they don't have, you know, a hundred thousand seat stadium and rabid fan base. They're kind of a, a liberal uh school up there in Boulder, pretty chill. And uh yeah, they're 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 awful. And it shows you how bad the Pac 12 is. I mean, who has really who has USC even been an underdog to this year? One game? Uh, US, uh, Utah, and I got to think they've been favored by a lot in all their games. Besides um, that. Most of them, yeah. Uh, by the way, making fun of other college football programs, uh, formerly of the Big 12, is making me feel better. So let's do Nebraska next. Nebraska's at Michigan tomorrow at 2.30. Carson, give me your guess on the spread. Mich- uh, uh, Michigan hosting Nebraska. I think they're pretty similar football games, but I think Michigan certainly more well-respected from the gamblers. What was the last one? 34? Last one was 34. I'll, I'll go 38. How about that? Uh, so you actually would have been closer with your previous guess. 30 and a half. 30 and a half. My, my guess is because uh, Michigan is not as high scoring as U.S. Oh, uh, yeah. Being a little closer. Uh, but yeah, Michigan is a 30 and a half point favorite against Nebraska. So yeah, Nebraska I, I disagree with I disagree with that. Like, I think Michigan will, could shut them out and score 40, whereas USC can't stop anybody. Even Colorado will score some points. So I, I, I disagree with Vegas there. Okay. Yeah, I, I think Michigan could definitely shut out Nebraska. Uh, and then just Big 12, Carson. Did you see the line Kansas State at Baylor? Oh, I didn't. Um, well, Texas is favored at home against um, TCU, which would raise some eyebrows. I, I, I think the, the odds makers like Baylor a lot. 
or I get they didn't early in the year, but they're playing really well. And I, I think Vegas, if they were doing their power rankings, would probably put Texas and Baylor one, two, um, or not Baylor, TCU, obviously, but besides TCU, I think Baylor would be right there. So since you're bringing it up, I think Baylor might be favored by four, three and a half. You're close. Two and a half. Just on the other side of the field goal number. So Baylor's okay. a two and a half point favorite at home hosting Kansas State. Texas now a seven and a half point favorite at home against TCU, which is uh just horribly disrespectful from Vegas toward TCU to make them a seven and a half point dog as the number four ranked undefeated team in the country, which leads me to believe that Texas is going to beat them by two touchdowns because that is just begging people across the country to throw their money on TCU and Vegas doesn't just give money away. So uh, I think we might be heading toward the disaster scenario, Carson, where Texas actually looks good, gets a top five win, and it gets way overvalued nationally. I've been very impressed by them lately. I said that on the last show. Like, if I had to pick a team to win the Big 12 today, I'd probably pick Texas. And that, I know that's depressing. And OSU, not that long ago, beat up on Texas, was the more physical team and the better better program. Uh, how would you how would you rank the teams? I'd probably put Texas 1, TCU 2. I could, I could definitely see a rematch there. But, again, don't count out Baylor. I've been saying that all year. I picked them to win the league coming in. They're, they're starting to play better, although, you know, they had to – they snuck away with a win in Norman, which is not very conducive to them winning the Big 12 because OU is not very good. But I, I still think Baylor's a good football team. But I'd probably go Texas 1, TCU 2, Baylor 3. Yeah, really, since the fourth quarter in Stillwater, Texas has looked phenomenal uh, and has played some really good football. So I, I still would go TCU. I Everybody keeps doubting them, and they just keep going out and winning. Maybe they do it again tomorrow. Uh, Sunday, I might sing a different tune if Texas beats them by two touchdowns, but I, I don't know, man. That game is a, a total wild card to me. So I'd probably go uh, TCU 1 if I'm ranking Big 12 schools. And then behind TCU, you've got Kansas State, Baylor, and Texas, all with two conference losses. Um, I, I don't know how you don't put Texas at the top of that group. So probably TCU, Texas, uh, and then Baylor, Kansas State. I'll give it to the winner of that game tomorrow, and I think Baylor beats them. So I'd probably go TCU, Texas, Baylor, Kansas State in that order. Oh, I, I can get behind that. Um, but I tell you what, the Big 12 does not want Texas winning the Big 12 nope. this year or – until they leave, that, that would be bad news bears. But I, I'm rooting for TCU. I, I, I have nothing against TCU. Um, I guess some fans had some bad experiences there, but you're going to have those if you go in the wrong go to, go to any stadium. You're going to have a, a bad experience or two. But uh, I'd like to see someone new, someone fresh, win it and uh, kind of prove the strength of the overall conference. And and man, it, it is interesting, Colby, that Gary Patterson going to be on the other sideline coaching for Texas against TCU. He's got to be thinking like. Man, this is kind of embarrassing. I leave town and all of a sudden they're like top four team in the country with the same players that I had. That's that's gotta be uh that's gotta sting them a little bit. Uh yeah, no, I think it definitely does. They've been really good. Also, I mean, Max Duggan is just a better player. He's a different player, he's a better player, he's he's smarter, he's better with the football, he's he's more accurate. I don't know, it's all of it. So um yeah, I, I think that this will be a very interesting dynamic with him on the other sideline and probably be a little weird for him and for uh, and for TCU to see him on the other side. Yeah, it, it's odd. He was there for a long time. Yep, long time, long time. And have you ever heard his song, the Take a Step Back, his country song? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Are you aware that he's a country music artist? No, and I, I think, honestly, my life might have been better before I knew that. I Do I need to listen to Gary Patterson singing country music? You're about to. Oh. Yeah, he... Um, you getting this okay? I got nothing. I got nothing. Do I need to give it a Google here? Is it called Take a Step Back? Do you, you getting this, Colby? To the way it was When people were crazy I was trying to play the song on my microphone. I guess you didn't hear that. You got this coming through on my end? I can hear it, yeah. Give me just a little more of your heart. I said, ready, set, start. <laughs> Take a step back. Okay, Gary. Okay, not bad. 
Maybe the last coach on the planet I would expect to have a a song, like a legit musical background. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah, I want to see like, couldn't you just see Mike Gundy and him on stage rocking it together? I think Gundy's a little bit more Def Leppard than country, but can you see Mike up there rocking the stage with him? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Boy, Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson. What a boy band, right? That's see uh, Mike having some like, you know, he does kind of some Elvis type dance moves as it is with his knees bending inward. Um, I could see him up there, like just doing some Elvis type dancing. Uh, yeah, I could see that a little bit. There is a music video that goes along with the uh, Gary Patterson song, so check it out. He's uh, playing the guitar and singing, all that good stuff. Well, I hope Texas takes a step back, Colby. But uh, again, good being with you. And we'll. You want to do the the post game uh, live after the game, or you want to do it on Sunday again? Uh, we haven't discussed probably- that yet. Probably a Sunday noon. That's all right. We can just schedule right here on the air for all the people. Yep. That uh, Probably Sunday at noon usually is a pretty good go-to. Carson, we're going to have some people over tomorrow. Uh, and you're welcome to join, by the way. I have accomplished something uh, that few accomplish. It's one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. I talked my wife into letting me put two more TVs in our living room. So our living room setup now has a 65-inch TV in the middle, which will have the primary game on. I've now got a 50-inch TV on either side of it, which will have secondary games and or golf on, uh, depending whether I'm working and how important the golf is. It is one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. Uh, I will tweet out a picture tomorrow. We're going to get all the cords hidden tomorrow, make it look nice. Uh, And then once the games are on, I will tweet out a picture so everybody can see the new setup. I am... This will be my first football weekend with the three TVs up, and I am so excited to sit on my couch for about 12 hours tomorrow and about 12 hours Sunday just watching football on three screens. That's incredible. That is that is big-time commitment from your wife. Uh, what, a, what a trooper. What a, what a saint. What a cowgirl. I mean, that's just – that's incredible. And, uh, man, you picked a good one. That. I don't think that would fly uh, with me and me and Sydney, but uh, I, I do. I do admire uh, y'all's relationship. That's incredible. So it, enjoy uh, that. It took me. What is what is today? Today's November 11th. Uh, so we started dating. My wife and I did uh, on November 13th, 2011. So it's been almost exactly 11 years now. And for 11 years, I have wanted three TVs on the primary wall in the living room. And for 11 years, it has been shot down, but I actually use the baby as my leverage point because she's going to be wanting to watch her little Paw Patrol and stuff coming up here in six months to a year. And uh, we're going to need a TV for her to watch that. And my wife and I to be able to still watch our stuff uh, all in the same room while we're hanging out as a family. So uh, I use the baby for a little, a little trickery there. Love that. Yeah. It's a, you gotta, it's all about how you deliver the message. You know, communications is something I do in my career now. You gotta, Got to tailor that message. And um, <laughs> hey, you know, uh, I'm thinking of Bluey. Is it Bluey or Paw Patrol? I get those two confused. I don't know. We haven't gotten into it yet, and uh, I'm putting it off as long as I can. I was watching a video the other day. My wife showed it to me. Uh, it went viral. This little girl just like stomping and throwing a fit because she wanted her dad to turn football off the TV and turn on some little Peppa Pig or something. And I'm like, oh, we are so close to that. But the problem solved. Okay, it's it's Bluey. Bluey's not bad. Bluey can can appeal to uh, adults because Sydney's kids they watch they watch Bluey. Okay, uh, Bluey. It's like Australian, which is kind of funny. They got like Australian accents, but it um, it's not bad. You'll you'll enjoy that one. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. So uh, looking forward to some of those. Some I'm sure will be fun. Some not so much. But that's life. Uh, Carson, good stuff. We'll get back together Sunday. Sounds good, brother. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you live on Sunday. Absolutely. As always, go Pokes.